uh, for the last few weeks, and specifically as it relates to these real-life conversations. We said, hey, God has us on a journey to our real life. To move to our real life, it's imperative. Listen, imperative, I use that word, not lightly. It's imperative that we're having real-life conversations. All right, everybody do me a favor real quick. I want, you just to, I want you to quiet your heart and your mind. I don't know, as I'm getting ready to, to, to speak, I just sense a, an unsettling, um, just like lots of distraction going on. So I want to just ask that you would pray real quick with me. God, I pray, God, that you would remove distraction this morning. God, I don't ever pray this. This is kind of weird I'm doing it. But I do pray, God, that you would speak with clarity in this moment. I pray that you would quiet hearts. I pray that you would quiet minds right now in Jesus' name. And that, God, you would enable and empower us to hear the voice of God very clearly. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's dive in. So this idea of family, real-life conversations, it's imperative we're having real-life conversations to move in our real life. We said, number one, number one, you have to be speaking to Jesus. Like, I'll just be honest with you. You cannot survive in life at all if you're not intentionally investing into a relationship with Jesus. When I say investing into, I don't mean working for him in a to-do list mentality that you grew up with in church. I got to do something. I got to pray. I got to have a quiet time to please God. So I have a good day as if I have this transactional relationship with him, but instead it's God, you love me. So I walk in faith today in hope of your movement, right? I know you so well because you so desire to be known because you've expressed who you are in fullness through the cross and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Basically, he loves us with everything. He empowered us with everything. And now we follow him with everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. That's first Peter. That's Bible. Everything we need in life and godliness we have because of our knowledge of Jesus. And so in my relationship with him, all I'm doing is sitting down with the best mentor the world has ever known as he teaches me how to use all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how he empowers me to be Jesus everywhere that I go. And so I spend my time not trying to please him because I think he's mad at me. I spend my time enjoying him forever as he stirs all these beautiful gifts in my life that he has for me so I can give them away. So I know Jesus and I spend time with him, not so I can get from him what I need when things are going bad. I'm with him because I am dependent fully upon him in everything that I'm doing at school, in parenting. Listen, I will be a crappy husband, and I will say it like that, if I do not have Jesus leading me and guiding me to help me love my wife, because by nature I am selfish, self-absorbed, and self-focused, and will not be good at it. And you all need to say, Amen. Because we can't, we are fully dependent, such as the men. Oh, yeah, I'm terrible, right? If you think you're good, you're not. You need Jesus. Here we go. So dependence upon Jesus in all of these areas, that's what I'm cultivating and knowing him. And then we said, if we're going to get over our real life, 
We're living in the context of family. Last week, we looked at Matthew 18. You know it as the discipline chapter where churches say, well, this is how you do church discipline. It's not a church discipline chapter. It is a chapter on Jesus laying out your responsibility, my responsibility, and what it means to be a part of the family of God. Jesus, God said, hey, my father would leave 99 Christians to go save the one Christian who is wandering off is about to die because sin has easily ensnared him. Therefore, you must also leave your place of safety and refuge among your safe little Christian huddle over here with people who think like you, talk like you, and act like you to go out to the one family member who is dying and needs help before they fall off the edge of the universe. He's not talking about the unsaved in Matthew 18, 99 to save the one. He's talking about the brother and sister who have been ensnared by the work of the enemy. And he's calling us to leave. Go read it in context of the whole chapter. And he's saying to us, you have to die to selfishness. This extreme individualism, your egoism. And give your life away to those that are in need. Because, and, I don't, and here's the thing this week. And I've, just been, I've been overwhelmed by those that are in need. And what I mean by this, I've, I've had some fantastic conversations with some really good friends this week. And, and we sit down and we talk through life. And I realize that they're just like me. Stuff happens that makes life overwhelming and difficult. And I'm sure none of you understand that. I mean, life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is overwhelming. No one has the market on difficulty in life. I mean, this week, I mean, you all know Gary and Ella Givens. There are, a lot of you know them. They are part of our leadership team here at Vintage. And five months ago, their two-month-old grandson, Wilkes, came down with a blood, or had, had a, was born, they didn't know it, the blood disease that was going to kill their grandson. It's called HLH, one in a million. The only way the child could live is if they do extreme, just rapid chemo and then do a, 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 um, a bone marrow transplant that they're going to have to do with his older sister, who's like five, four, three or four, five. And so for the last five months, they've had people praying and interceding and crying out to God. People have signed up for time slots. The Hamburgs are signed up for a time slot on Thursdays at 12 to 1 where we're praying for Wilkes, praying for the family. And I asked, I asked, and so I asked Ella this week, I said, hey, I'm going to speak on this family piece. Do you have any thoughts? Like, do you, like spiritual faith, do you have any thoughts? And if you know Ella... She did. And I'm going to read her. I'm going to listen. So I'm about to share her quote. I'm quoting her. She asked me to like make it even look better than it was. I said, maybe. Right. But I'm going to just read to you what she wrote. Because what I want you to see is this context of someone in need, someone in desperation, right? Someone in a difficult place, right? Not because of their sin, not because of Wilkes' sin, because of the nature of a fallen world in which we live, right? Where sin impacts the, the, the healthy and the, and the sick, the, the sinner and the saint, right? And so all of a sudden we see this. She said this. She says, I said, talk to me about family. She says, there have, there have been the contenders, in prayer, like contending, fighting, those who fight in prayer, who have given us a confidence in battle that there are watchmen on the wall at all times, 
even when we cannot be there on the walls, either because of fatigue or a detour, knowing that they are watching, listening and alerting brings us peace. There have been the encouragers that have rallied us on in a time of weariness, lead us to specific scripture or music to feed our souls. There have been the servants who offer food to cut our grass, let our dog out, to use their swimming pool for the grandchildren who have been left behind. Those who put together the survival bags with toiletry items and comfy blankets to leave with those at the hospital. Those who drive to the airport and pick up our daughter who's flying from out of town. How would we make this journey without the body? Dot, dot, dot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. Listen, I love this. I don't want to think what this would be like without them. Part of me wants to say, I'm sorry to say, but part of me doesn't. But this isn't the first time the body of Christ has been our Aaron and our hers, the ones who lift up our arms, who bear the weight. Basically, we've experienced this in the past. The Gibbons family has had what I call three major life-changing challenges in the past 20, um, about the last 30 years, that the body of Christ has held us up when we could not hold ourselves up. Those have ranged from sure enough... Like in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution type, sure enough, potential imprisonment for Gary to cocaine addiction in our family and now an incurable illness of a tiny babel curable by bone marrow transplant. The question I would pose to you is this. Is God good? The answer is yes, he is good. It's on caps right there. That's why I yelled it. A huge part of my knowing his goodness is through the mercy and the compassion that he has demonstrated to me and to our family through the body, his body, the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Man, I mean, when we talk about doing church, listen, we don't do church. We are the church. We don't go to church. We live 24 7 That means every day, all day, right? As the church, the people of God. And we said, we're called to live encouraging, loving, being in relationship with one another. When? When? When are we in relationship? All the time, and especially when those that are in need, when they're dying, when they're suffering, when there are consequences of their own sin, and we need someone to come alongside of me and save me from myself. I mean, God's good. Gary and Ella, this scary thought, right? Because we just can't do life alone. And I don't know, listen, you need to name your own weights. Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it your work? Is it your depression that you wrestle with on the inside? Is it your body image that you struggle with every day that makes you think that you are ugly, useless, and worthless in life? That's straight from the pit of hell. There's no pit in heaven. It's just pinnacles. Pinnacles with Jesus. Right? It's like pit of hell. All these things that we wrestle with. And the idea is this. In the things that we're wrestling with, we can't do it alone. Like the givens who are over here. We cannot do these things alone. That's the call of Matthew 18, right? He says, I want you to leave. I want you to love. I want you to give your life. But there's a responsibility that you have. To love and encourage and be in family with one another. 
The, one of my favorite stories that models this is the story of the paralytic. I'm not going to read it because most of us know it, but I'm just going to kind of tell it to you. Right? You've got, these, you've got this man over here. He's paralyzed, which means he can't move. He can't walk. He can't get up. He's dying in himself. And, and Jesus is not coming to his house for whatever reason. And so his friends, his family, those who love him said, oh, we will leave our own homes. We will we will give our own time and our own energy. We will we will we will struggle through carrying him a long distance and we will take him to Jesus for salvation and for healing. And listen, have you ever tried to pick up someone and just carry him from one side of the room to the other? It's not easy. Let alone to to get on this mat, right? It wasn't it wasn't like one of those um, um, what are those things called stretchers that has wheels on it can wheel them through Jerusalem? No, man. Like this is like one of those grass mats with some strings and a piece of I have no idea look like, right? But it wasn't easy to carry them, and they're literally carrying up and down streets and down sidewalks and through dirt roads and through people and ox carts and donkeys and all this type of stuff, right? And they're carrying them through the city to get to Jesus. You know what happens? They get to the house, and it's just too full. And so they say, well, we tried. No, what do they say? We will climb to the top of the house. These Jewish homes back in the day, these homes in Jerusalem, they were these flat things with tiles on top, right? And so they found a way to get probably a little walkway up there, and they carried them up the stairs or somehow got them up there, and they began to tear the person's house apart. Tile after tile after tile saying, sorry about your house, I'm going to guess because they were good, faithful Jews. They just they probably paid the man back for the tiles they broke. I'm just saying I'm adding that just added that. Don't take that anywhere. But I'm just saying. right? But they're really helping out. And they they and they and they didn't just like go, hey, Jesus, up here. I want you to pray for my business. No, no. We are going to struggle to release him and bring him down into the home. What did Jesus do? May he say this to every single one of us. Jesus would have looked up. And it says he was amazed at their faith. And he looked at the man and said, hey, buddy. I made that up, too. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat. Thank your friends out of that, too, and go home. And he stood up going, ah, Right. Probably gave Jesus a big hug. And I guarantee you, on their way home, thanking God they're not having to carry him back home too, I guarantee you they got home and in true Jewish style had a big throwdown party in celebration of what God had done. You need to throw more parties when Jesus moves in your life, I'm just saying. And so in the moment we see these these friends who see their call, their responsibility in the context of their spiritual family to not just pray for someone, but to carry them to Jesus and to work and to persevere with all of their energies until breakthrough and freedom came. And they persevered and would not give up until Jesus had broken into their life and brought release and brought freedom. And this becomes the picture for us. Listen, this is where the weight comes just a little bit and hear it and hear it as such. This is where the responsibility that you have begins to enter of how you care for and love the people sitting around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who are one family, one father. Like the paralytic 
that we fight with perseverance, not giving up. Listen, hear this. The church is full of me people. They're all about me-isms. All about me. And I didn't like the worship. I didn't like the lights. I didn't like the how hot it was. I didn't like how cold it was. I didn't like the children's ministry. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. They didn't take care of me. All these me-isms. And they focused their entire church experience on what someone did or did not do for them. And Jesus said, that doesn't look like church. Church is a bunch of people who are, who are striving, who are working hard to give their life away to those that are scattered off and going to give their life for them like the paralytic. Sacrifice, time, money, energy, and resources for those that are in need. This is the picture of family. This is the picture of what it means to actually be the church. This is the picture. Listen, church does not show up for an hour, sing some good worship songs, make sure, make sure you give your money, right, and then walk out talking about how great the sermon was. If you think that's church, I apologize on behalf of the church. Church is about who is living their life on behalf of another person, giving their life away sacrificially 24-7. So, that's our call. So Matthew 18, last week talked all about that. Now I'm going to look at Paul's version of Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians. We're going to officially start in verse 6. I'm going to read a couple of verses before that to kind of give you perspective. We are family. And I will say this. Hear me on this. These are the most dire times that we've known in the history of the church. That as it relates to worldwide with the largest number of Christians that have ever inhabited the earth, there is more persecution happening today than's ever happened in the sense of Christians being killed and martyred for their faith. And I would say this, that it is imperative we discuss the nature of family because I don't know about you, but if I have a gun in my face saying, I'm going to shoot you unless you renounce your faith, it would be a lot easier for me to stay true to my faith if you're all standing behind me saying, do not turn away from Jesus. I am praying for you with everything I have inside of me. And we're living in a day and age where in time, in time, with such high level antagonism towards Christianity, the call for us to live together, to live as family, to live unified for the purposes of God and encouragement as we live out our faith in a place of antagonism towards our faith. It's imperative that we are part of family. Ron Sider said this. Just close your eyes and pay attention because it's not on the screen. He said this. Certainly it is not impossible for individual Christians to maintain biblical beliefs, even if a hostile majority agrees. It's not impossible. But if the church is to consist of communities of loving defiance in a sinful world, then it must pay more attention to the quality of its fellowship and its family. All he's saying is this. Hear this. You need to hear this. Communities of loving defiance. You need to think Gandhi and Martin Luther King who said, we have ideals, we have 
values. We have these things that we stand upon, these truths that we hold true and dear about who Jesus is, who we are in him. And we live lovingly defiant against the culture in which we live to try to strip this away from us because we believe Jesus. And I will tell you, he's saying the only way we can remain is these loving, loving communities of defiance is if we are together in community, praying for, encouraging, and fighting for one another on a 24-7 basis. And it rings true today because someone just got beheaded probably in the last five minutes because of their faith. And that may happen here in time. By grace, maybe, hopefully it never will. But when the moment comes, when the world is so antagonistic towards us that all of our values in America have been lost, God's looking down saying, are there communities of loving defiance who stay true to their values, who love one another, and are living such a countercultural life that the world actually looks at them and says, they have something that we need. They actually love and fight for one another And I have to have what they have. What is it? And we go, it's Jesus. You see, now we don't live in that way when everything gets tough. We build the foundation now. We express it now. So when that time comes, because it will, we already have we already have the we already have the safe lands for people to come into. The refuge the living God, Psalm 46. We hide in the refuge because he is almighty. Galatians chapter 5 says this in verse 16. It says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So I say, live by the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. And then it goes on. What does it say? It lists all these terrible things and all these like simple things that require, that, that, that acknowledge and are, and are sin. Sexual immorality, lying, cheating, and the such, right? All of these things that represent this, the, 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 the picture of sin. And then it goes on and says, but then there, here's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? So here's the things marked by the lives of those not living by the Spirit. But here are the things that mark the life of true followers of Jesus. Those who are living by the Spirit of God, right? Who are living, who are living dependent upon Him every day, crying out for Him. That goes on later, says, in keeping in step with or walking with the Spirit. And it names the things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against the law. There's no, there's no such law against these things, right? It's like this beautiful picture. And the thing I want you to recognize about the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this. You want them for yourself, but God gives us, gives it to, gives us those in the context of relationship. See, Galatians chapter 5, 16 is this work of God in our life of how we're then called to live in relationship with one another. He goes on, I'll read it here, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying. Each other. You see, verse 26 lands in the context of relationship. He say, live by the Holy Spirit, walk by the Holy Spirit, so you can be a healthy member of the family of God. That's what he's getting at. In fact, all the gifts, all the, all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, do you see how they're all actually in the context of relationship with someone else? 
I receive love so I can give love to my cat and dog. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus says. No, I, I receive love so I can love my neighbor. I receive joy in relationship with God. Why? So the joy of Jesus can be intoxicating to those walking in darkness. Peace. I experience peace so I can exhibit peace in a peaceless world. Patience. Always exhibited in the context of relationship or something that's causing me to feel impatient. Kindness. I don't get to just live in the... I'm not just going to be kind to myself all day long. That'd be stupid. I'm going to express kindness to people who are around me. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 are all in context of our relationship with the family of God and those that are around us. So we don't do, verse 26, become conceited, making all about ourselves, provoking the wrath and envying each other. And so this Galatians 5 going to chapter 6, and it goes here, verse 1. It's going to, let's read the first five verses. Let's read the five, first five verses. I don't have time to go through all of the which I could. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without complaining, excuse me, comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Let me just say this real quick about verses three and four. He's specifically talking about us not getting prideful in what we're carrying on behalf of God, that we're not putting focus upon ourselves, but we are acknowledging, right? Don't think of something that you're not. Don't deceive yourselves, right? You are who you are because of God. Each one should test their own actions. Make sure your heart is pure. Make sure you're not legalistic in the actions that you're doing. Test your own heart, right? Then you can take pride in themselves alone without comparing us. Then you can say, God, I'm so thankful that I'm getting to be obedient to you without comparison to somebody else, right? It's a whole comparison thing. So anyway, so come back to verse one. It's kind of giving you that because I'm not going to talk about it much. So here we go. Verse one, brothers and sisters, I love this. He begins saying, all right, we've, we've named this part of relationship, not provoking, not all no, this stuff. So brothers and sisters, family, he names family. He's going to say, now, it's imperative you walk in the spirit, live by the spirit for the, for the sake of family. Now, brothers and sisters, recognize the call that we have here to family. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. The picture here of caught in sin is the idea of being ensnared by sin. I could go through all the Greek with you, but it just means to be ensnared as if as if someone has set a trap for you. And they I always think of like those big bear clamps, right? Covered in leaves. That picture, right? It's like you throw it out there, you cover it with leaves and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's a bear clamp in the middle of the woods. Are you kidding me? And so bear clamp's been set by the work of the enemy to ensnare. So the idea is this, non-Christians chase after sin, but once you give your life to Jesus, sin chases after you to ensnare you. 
And so sin has set these traps, this bear clamp for you in the, in the spirit realm, whatever, right? Whatever you want to say, right? But this bear clamp for you and it's coming after you with idolatry and with, and with like little things here and there. And all of a sudden, boom, you're like, oh, I give in. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that. These moments of giving in, these moments of being ensnared by and trapped by sin. And so this happens in our lives. Sin chases that threat and ensnares us. It captures us. And then Scripture goes and says, now, you go to them. You go to them. And you who are living by the Spirit, you set them free. The call of God, excuse me, the call of Paul here is sobering. He says, those who are living by the Spirit are the ones who are effective in rescuing ones from sin. So you can put that in context, and its antithesis is then, therefore, those who are not walking by the Spirit and living by the Spirit will not be able to really go and do this. Why? Because it tells us here, be careful, because you may be tempted and fall into sin and be ensnared yourself. We understand that if we're not really walking in Jesus and the power of the Spirit, listening to Him, dependent upon Him, walking in obedience, what happens? All of a sudden we find ourselves, whoa, hey, I just fell into sin. How'd that happen? Wow, that's crazy stuff. No, the idea is he's saying it's imperative in family because they're, because we're dependent upon one another, that on behalf of one another, that we are walking by the Spirit, living dependent upon Jesus, listening to his voice, being obedient to him. Why? Because someone's going to need me and I'm going to need them. He's coming and talking about our responsibility and our relationship with Jesus. Let me make this really, let me bring it home. Men, you need to pay attention to this. So for the last few months, God's been doing this unique and wonderful and powerful work in my life of relationship with him, showing me things I've never seen before, taking me deeper than I've ever been in my entire life, right? It's been an incredible and joyful time. It's been difficult. It's been overwhelming. He shows me sin and shows me insecurities and all those types of things. It's been difficult, been wonderful all at the same time. Like I sit down to be with Jesus and I hear his voice and he starts naming things that no one else in the world ever knows why I know it's him. And so so one of the things he convicted me about was loving my wife better. Because how many of you know, again, that in our own strength, we're really going to be bad husbands, husbands. We're not going to love well. We're going to always think that she's wrong. We're going to think she needs to serve us, right, and make sure she's always doing everything, right? And we're not going to be kind, and we're not going to be compassionate. We're going to be sarcastic by nature because we're men, right? And we're just going to like, oh, my gosh, and just be children all the time, right? And so, so I, I was like this. And so God, so God began to work in me. You need to love your wife better. I'm like, all right, fantastic. So I started her acts of service. That's her love language. Acts of service, right? I'm doing stuff for the foster care thing we're doing, right? And I'm loving her and I'm speaking life into her and I'm doing my best to really encourage her and do my best to pray for her all the time, right? I do my best to lay hands on her and pray for her during a bad day and to speak life and not to correct her and like teach her because we can do that sometimes and fix all of her problems, but to be there, be like, how are you, babe? You know, really love her well. And so God began to do this work. And so, so all of it, so then God, I got one day I was talking to some guys and I was telling them the story and said, I'm so thankful that God's doing this work. And I can really just see like Randall's like really, really God's doing a great work in her life. I'm really excited about it. I said, it's just neat to see how God is moving in her life. And God said, this is clear as day. And this is how I know it's God because I never would have thought this. And hear this. I felt like God said, as clear as day, Steve, I'm able to do this work in your wife's life. Because you've given her a love of a foundation of love to stand on. I could not do this work before because you had not built the foundation of support for her. 
I didn't receive that as condemnation that I was a terrible husband and that God hated me. I went, oh, it's sobering. Like, I was, started tearing. I started crying. I was at Chick-fil-A. Some of the guys were there. I was crying, right? And I just realized, God, my sin had literally been an obstacle for my wife's breakthrough and things that you want to do in her life because it was such a profound, heart-wrenching work you wanted to do in her that she'd have to have a foundation of love to stand on in our home. Hold me accountable to that. Ask me how I'm doing loving my wife. I get to ask you the same question, though, because that's the call of family, isn't it? That sounds weighty, but I did not receive received as a weight of calling. It's a calling to love my wife, to sacrifice for her, to be the best husband that I can be for her and for the sake of my kids. Why? Because I want my kids to know that I think my wife is awesome and their mom's the prettiest woman who's ever walked the earth. They need to experience that, right? So I have to be careful, I have to be aware, I have to love, I have to die to self, I have to live in this place, right, of, 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 of being aware of my own sin, that it can be an obstacle for my brothers and sisters. Number two, verse two, it says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. God speaks this command, right, to us living by the Spirit who are walking close to Jesus. He says, exercising obedience in our lives. He says, now, now that you're here in this place, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You understand the word bearing? Bearing refers to holding up a great weight. This, this, this right here, this stool is bearing a great weight of me. Right? It's like it's bearing a great weight. A bridge bears the great weight of the concrete on it and those who walk across it and the cars that come across it and the big fat Mack trucks that go across it. It's bearing the weight, this great weight. And so Paul tells us, just like Jesus, that we have a responsibility to help bear the weight of those that we are in community with. And bearing the weight will always cost us, it will always cost us, like the paralytics friends, our time, our money, our energy, and our resources. There's no way around it. And I want you to miss the context here of what Paul's saying. He's saying, bear their weight in the context of the result of their sin. That's what it's in context of. Verse 1, they're in sin. How many of you know that some people like the, uh, uh, what's that guy who, uh, the prodigal son, right, goes off and sins, comes back, There's there are consequences, right? And the father says, but in the consequences of your sin, in your brokenness, your stinkiness, in the midst of your dirtiness, I bring you in, in the context of your sin, I bear the weight of your failures, and I draw you and bring you back into the family. And the idea for so many of us is, I will bear someone's weight, If it's sin done to them, but I'm not sure I can bear the weight of someone who has their own sin. See, Gary and Ella would tell the story of their daughter, Lindsay, who got a rot. They've told the story here, so I'm not offending them. It's their story to tell, but I'm going to tell part of it. Lindsay, they said it here. She was a cocaine addict. She had a full ride to Georgia Tech in accounting. She's brilliant. She's done our accounting, right? She goes and she would tell you, Steve, for two years, for two years, my daughter's wrapped in this sin. I am interceding and I'm praying nonstop and I'm calling my friends when I just can't pray anymore because it's too much. I'm, pr- I'm asking them to pray and they're interceding. And after two years, after two years, God sets her free. But in the midst of her daughter's sin, as a college student, 
She's embracing and loving and interceding and bearing the weight that was birthed even from her own sin. This is the context here. You're bearing one of those burdens, even if it's the consequence in the context of sin. We're coming alongside and praying for breakthrough, praying for restoration. We are coming without an end to we're going to carry them and not go, oh, it's gone so far. There you go. That's enough. Right. No, we're carrying them all the way through. This is the idea. The command is weighty and it's difficult and it requires a lot from us unless unless. Unless we actually change the way that we view one another. Because one of the people that I would do anything for, and I think Ellis and Gary are a prime example, that I would do anything for is my kids. Something happens to my kids, you know what I do? I would sell everything. I would do anything. I would fight anyone with my bare knuckles and someone bigger behind me helping me. I would do anything. Right? I would do anything. On behalf of my kids. Why? Because they're my kids. They're my family. And God looks down and says, well, in, in all honesty, there's only one family. It's my family. And we're all brothers and sisters. Therefore, there must be a shifting of how we view relationship and view family to recognize that we are part of one spiritual family, God as father, us as brothers and sisters, as his children. There has to sh- this shift, this shifting to take place of, of, of who we love and who we care for and who we're willing to give everything for. It's a command. It's a, it's a weighty thing unless we have to shift. Saying, but God, you have to help me to see family. It's not just my wife and my two or three or four kids. But my wife, my kids, and every other single person who is your child and is my brother and is my sister. We're not, to be honest with you, we're not good at that. We view ourselves in our own little individualized nuclear families of a husband and wife and a couple of kids here and there. And there is nothing biblical about that in the context of family. Yes, there is a context. I'll take that back. It is biblical to have our family. But in the eyes of the Jewish culture in Jesus' time, we were families in the context of a covenant people, one family. I love the shaking of heads because you get it. I love that. So here's the other part I want you to see. And this is, I'm, let's just like state it as fact. Verse 2 tells us, and by doing this, we fulfill God's law. <laughs> we fulfill the whole Old Testament right there, right? Jesus said, so what's the greatest commandment? It's simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as you do that, you fulfill the law of God. And so Paul is coming and saying, hey, if you want to fulfill God's command, his law, if you want to be obedient, then you must love your neighbor. You must leave the 99 to save the one. You must bear one another's burdens and walk in Christ so you don't fall into sin because if you fall into the sin that they're entangled by, you're of no help to them. If they're in a hole and you fall into their hole, you can't get, you can't get anybody out. It's beautiful. Fulfill the law of Christ. The entire, listen, Galatians 5.14 said this. Paul already said it earlier. We didn't read it. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's beautiful. 
And so then in this, we have to be careful. Verse 3 and 4, I've already said it. I'm not going to go into it. I encourage you to read it for yourself and study it for yourself. But 3 and 4 basically saying, so, but don't get caught up in doing things for God. And don't get caught up in, in bearing one of those burdens and comparing yourself as being better than someone else, right? Just recognize what God's called you to do. Recognize the calling and celebrate with Jesus how you get to fulfill his law. Celebrate with him the burden you get to carry, right? And it goes on to verse 5. Let me read that verse 5. It says this. It says this. Um, for each one should carry their own load. And some of you go, what are you talking about? He just told me to carry someone else's burden, but now I've got to carry my own load. What's he talking about? Well, it's real simple. Yes, you have issues you're carrying in life. But there are specific loads of your neighbor that you have been called by God to carry. That's what it's talking about. He has given you bear your own load in this. So Mark and Carol Freeman sitting right here. Two o'clock for me, right? Mark has a burden to carry that given by God, a burden, a load that Carol's not to carry. Carol has one that she's supposed to carry that Mark is supposed to carry. And I have one that neither of them have to carry. Because their neighbors are not my neighbors. I have a specific load that God is calling me to carry, a specific neighbor that God is calling me to love, right? Listen, it is, it is um, not healthy to think of the entire world as your neighbor because that's too much. What's right is to think that anyone could be my neighbor, but my neighbors are actually the ones who are part of my sphere of influence and who are part of my life. And those are the ones that God is calling me to see their load and be willing to carry. And the person in my sphere of influence, I'm not expecting you to carry my load for me. But I'm expecting you to carry your load. And Paul is expecting you to carry your load. And Jesus is expecting you to carry your load as you figure out what that load is. How do you figure that out? We'll go back to Jesus and say, I love you. What do you, in the context of a real life conversation with him, what do you have for me to carry? Because I'm tired of meism Christianity. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of complaining about other people. When really the only reason I'm complaining about someone else is I don't like myself. Because I don't like who I've become and what I'm doing. Because I hate my life. Because I don't think you love me enough. And then you really hate yourself. That's a little counseling session right there. On the fly. And so we focus on him. We focus on Jesus. And he says, here is your load to carry. You bear your own Load the neighbors in your world that you're to call to carry and bring them through the, the one that you're called to go to. The questions, the practical answer, and just run through these very quickly. I just kind of made these up. How do we know what to load to carry? Number one, you have to know your neighbors. You can't carry someone's load if you don't know them. I mean, do you know your neighbors? Like, do you know the people who are in your sphere of influence? Are you so self-absorbed in your own stuff, you have no idea what's going on in someone else's life? That's called sin. Sorry. It's a, it's a, that's, that's this um, against the will of God, that you have no idea what's going on in your neighbor's lives and the people who are in your life. Jesus, love your neighbor. I don't, even, I don't have any neighbors. Yes, you do. You don't even know who they are. We must know our neighbors, right? That's where you start. Second, you have to be communicating so I can know my neighbor. Right. 
but not communicating with them on a deeper level than, hey, man, the weather's great today. How's your grass growing? Fantastic. Awesome. Man, have a great day. See ya. That's not, that's not communicating. That's talking. Communication means in the context of my life, the people I'm around every day, the people that I love, the people that are part of my life, people who are leading with my real life, I'm communicating vulnerably. Hey, what's going on in your life? Yeah, we're good. No, no, like, no, literally. If I'm can be as bold, how are things with your wife? Well, that's kind of deep, man. Yeah. I'm struggling myself. It's been hard to love my wife lately. Well, me too, man. We're on the verge of divorce and da 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 da. That's what happens, isn't it? When I talk to my neighbors, that's what happens. If you're my neighbors, I apologize. It happens. You talk to my neighbors, they'll tell you, yes, he's right. All the, all the other neighbors, not me, right? That's what goes down. We talk about life. We communicate. You know your neighbors by communicating with them deeper than surface level so you can actually pray for and reach the felt needs of their life, right? We need this to happen. The third thing, you have to make time. The, one of the idols of our culture is time. We make it a badge of honors. And, man, I'm so busy today. I had no time to eat breakfast or lunch or dinner. Right. We live in this place, a badge of honor about how busy we are, meaning we've made time an idol. So I can't do things because I don't have time to do them. And that's a lie straight from the pit. Not heaven. Peak. Right. Straight from the pit. How do I know this? Well, Andy Stanley did a great job picturing this in the context of family. He said, I had a guy in my church who worked 60 to 80 hours a week. He was a high up level CEO guy who was never at home. And one day his wife called and said, your son just overdosed. I'm taking him to the hospital. You need to meet me there. He walked straight into his boss's office at like 11 a.m. and said, I'm gone for the day. And he came back the next day and said, now I've got to take the next week off. And the next month after that, I have to be off by one o'clock. And Andy's point was this. You make time for the things that are priority in your life. Don't let it hit the fan before you actually engage your family. Don't pull away. We make Time for the things that are priority in our lives. And the idea is a lie for us. Listen, one of the things I just and I'll end with this. Well, the next one's engage your family you have to engage your family. But that's number four. But but the thing I want this a story for this is this. I don't I don't have time. Like, I don't have time like you. Like, I don't have time to do stuff. Like you want to hang out like every week and do lunches and dinners and breakfasts and stuff. And I do some of those, but I don't have time to do all those things. Like I'm like you, I've got a family, I've got kids and a wife and I've got, I've got other family over here and I've got responsibilities over here and I've got, I mean, I've got a job, you know, it's like I've got stuff to do here. And, 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 and so I don't have time. And so, so all of a sudden my girl's playing softball, girl's playing softball and, and they call me and say, hey, we want you to be a coach of the B team. For North Paulding. And my first thought was, I don't have time for that. I mean, I literally, literally don't have time for that. But I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're doing this and opening the door. So I will I'll, I'll go. I told some this person, so I'm going to pray about it. Like, oh, oh, OK. All right. Go pray about it. Go pray. Say, God, what are you doing? And it wasn't it wasn't this long, arduous fasting, sackcloth and ashes. God just spoke, spoke to me and said, 
I'm increasing your influence. I will give you time. So I called him back and said, God said he'd give me time. I'll do it. It's basically four days, five days a week. It's a 25-hour part-time job that I'm doing. But you know what happened yesterday? We're playing um, Hiram. We're at Hiram. Second batter's up, Meadow. She pops the ball at the third base side. Third baseman comes with her head like this, running in full speed, catcher with gear on full speed. And they do that whole, like, um, like Flintstone moment, boom, and they fall backwards like that. You know what I'm talking about, that moment? And immediately blood goes, poof, right? Parents freaking out. She's freaking out. I'm going, oh, right? They go in. they got to cancel the game. they got seven players, and i got to forfeit. The girls go into the dugout. I walk into the dugout. I lay hands on both girls and begin to pray in the name of Jesus that he would love on them, that he would encourage them, they would bring healing into their life, and he would move in them. And every coach, I get done, like, thank you so much, right? It's like men in tears, right? This influencing. I walk over to my team. I sit down on the ground. I said, guys, what do we learn from this? Make sure you call out before and you're going to catch a pop-up. Yes, right? But what else do we learn from this? And we get to talk. I said, guys, let's, I said, let's all grab hands. We all grabbed hands in the circle as a team. And I began to pray in the name of Jesus for healing for these girls, a blessing on this team, that they would still win their games, right? and have a great time playing, that God would move in their life, and that we would recognize the call upon our life to be kind and loving to those that are around us. Amen and amen and amen. Influence. Parents sitting there just going, what's he doing? I think he's praying. And one girl gets done who, who don't think is a Christian, and she goes, man, it's so cool to have a pastor as our coach, right? And I'm like, influence. And I don't have time for it. Every day I'd like you to go, Oh, Jesus, if it would just rain the game out tonight, it would be awesome. Listen, I'm not making myself out to be holy. Please never hear that. I'm saying I had to wrestle. I had to sacrifice. I made time to engage those who need to be engaged. God's call is simple. You have to die to yourself. Give your life away in the context of family. Recognize the nuclear family is not a biblical family. The biblical family is the people of God with God as father and brother and sisters. And we have to be like those who carry the paralytic all the way to the end. And as we do so, we actually fulfill the law of Christ. And that's good news. Because I want to get to the end and him go, bam, you nailed it, Steve. Good job. You fulfilled it. Thanks, Dad. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us. God, we thank you that you have called us to be a part of the body, a part of the family of God. And this morning, Jesus, as we sit here and listen, we hear the story of Gary and Ella. We hear the story from the paralytic. We hear the story of Galatians chapter 5. We see the, the tension, the things, honestly, that we're just not really doing well, if we're completely honest. Lord, I pray that you would help us. We just confess, we're really, really good at not living life for others. But we ask for grace to make us great at the things that we can't do well in our own strength. We're asking for your ability, your power, your strength. Help us to love well.
God, have your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This we're going to have a time of ministry. Our ministry team is available on both sides. Listen, if you come this morning, you need someone just to walk with you and carry you and bear your burdens. We have people on both sides to pray for you. would love to do that. We have the altar. You want to come and just worship and pray and just before the Lord say, God, forgive me for the way I've not loved well, then do that. He have offering this morning, have baskets on both sides. I invite you to come as the Lord leads in that. And we have communion available. We do have a newcomer's reception afterwards. When you come out, there's going to be a lot of traffic out there. So I encourage you to kind of miss the traffic. If you're staying for that, feel free to stay. And then we'll come into that probably in about 10, about 10 minutes. So with that, you guys respond as the Lord leads. Respond as the Lord leads. Worship if you'd like to. But be before the Lord and allow him to speak truth into who is family. And who is in your sphere that God is calling you to bear their burdens? 